So this evening we're going to be uh, looking at Galatians chapter 3, 7 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we can turn there. And I mean, you could keep it very simple with what, it's, what Paul is trying to say here. He's, we're saved by faith alone. We'll keep it simple. And I could close it and, and we'll be done. But there's a lot to, to learn from what uh, is happening in this, in this book. And um, it's something that I was thinking about that Paul is, uh, he was a Pharisee. He was a man of the law. And so he comes at this very much like a lawyer. He comes, uh, he, he sees that there's heresy that's entering the church, and he comes at it at a, at a way that he's able to systematically tear down this heresy and, and then restore these people back into a right place and say, okay, remind them at the end of this book, this is how you're supposed to live as a Christian. Now let's move forward after we got this out of the way. We got made it clear, faith alone. And so uh, I want to kind of look at it from this perspective. It, we, we, can, we can imagine right now just entering into a courtroom, and you have the religious, you have the spiritual, you have the atheist, you have the professing Christian, and you have a believer take the stand in this courtroom. It almost sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it's I'm not going there. But the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, he stands before this witness stand. And if you can imagine that he brings these uh, individuals to the stand and he's about to prosecute them and, and to confront them in their beliefs, because this is really what's happening today. You, you have this postmodern era where everyone has their truth. And so you can, my truth is my truth. And ex- except when you say you try to be biblical and now you're, now you're, the, you had the unforgivable sin. You're not, love is not love. You, and so you're not being loving. And, and, uh, and so you, you can see how now it's, it's gone to another direction where, yeah, everyone has their truth. But now if you don't believe like the world believes, then you are the enemy now. And so we need to stand firm. And this is very relevant for what's happening today in the church. And so as you can imagine, this, uh, these witnesses coming to the stand, you can see the first, and Mr. Muslim would come up to the stand, and, and Paul would say to him, Mr. Muslim, how do you obtain eternal life? And he would say, well, I was not born with sin. I know I did some bad things. I guess you can call them sin, but sin can be pardoned if I repent, if it's sincere, if I do good deeds, like pray uh, several times a day and do some charity and take a pilgrimage to Mecca and, you know, I can do these things and I can maybe, possibly, earn eternal life. And then you see Miss Hindu come to the stand and he would say, may I ask you, who do you serve and what hope do you have after death? Well, I believe in karma uh, do good, do good things, and good, good things will happen. I have many gods to choose from, and if, I don't, if that doesn't go well for me in this life, maybe I can reincarnate into something better, and, and maybe I can break that cycle finally of new birth, and I can finally find eternal peace in the right body. And so you can see how these beliefs of works and salvation they're very similar in all false religions and false doctrine that has entered the church. Mr. Roman Catholic, are you saved through faith in Christ? And how do you know you're saved? 
Well, I was baptized when I was a child, and that cleansed me some original sin, and I was confirmed, and I went to Mass, and I gave to the poor, and I tried to participate in the sacraments, and I tried to do penance, indulgences. I tried to keep all the commandments, and if that doesn't work... Maybe I have some good, some good people that can pray for the repulse of my soul and I can get out of jail and I can be set free and make it to heaven. Miss Spiritual, how will you arrive to heaven? Well, I believe God loves everyone. You know, I try to be a good person. He understands that we're not all perfect. And I'm very, well, fairly confident that God will set me when I go to heaven because he loves everybody. Okay, Mr. Atheist, come to the stand. I know you don't believe in heaven or hell, but what is your moral standard if there is no God? And what keeps you from killing someone if there is no consequences? Well, within ourselves, we human beings have evolved in understanding right from wrong. And we are pretty good, and we can strive to live a good life and avoid situations which could lead me to making those kind of bad decisions. I, can, I have it within my own power and my own will. Okay, Miss Professing Christian, please give me some hope here. Come up to the stand and tell me something that sounds biblical. Well, I'm saved because I made a decision one day to allow him into my heart. And I can lose my salvation if I'm not careful. So I strive, and I go to work at church regularly. I tithe, I fast, I practice spiritual gifts, and say the sinner's prayer as often as I can possibly do in case that I, I can to help me not to fall. So I'm constantly depending on my, my abilities. So the instinct is that the sinful nature of humanity is that we think that we're good enough to make it to heaven, to make it into the presence of God, uh, there was a survey in 2020 that said that 48% of salva- believed in uh, America, salvation plus works uh, was, the, was a biblical concept, and only a third of Americans, 35%, believed that salvation was faith, by, faith alone. Uh, and probably if you really did a bigger survey, it'd probably be worse than what we see there. And so you see that people think that we can work our way to heaven. People don't think that they need salvation. They think that they're good enough to make it there. God loves everyone. And those who understand their need for salvation, um, they often find comfort in checking off the boxes. They do these things, and, and that makes me feel like I've, I'm making it. I'm, I'm doing something. There's a guarantee because I have these check boxes to go through. And so... You would, Paul's response to this would be, are you foolish? Are you crazy that you would, you would think this way? So Paul and Barnabas, they had been traveling to several cities in Asia Minor, and their Jews reacted strongly against Paul's preaching. Uh, we see this in Acts 13 and 14. And so they had incited the God-fearing women of prominence uh, and the leading men in the city. They instigated and embittered the minds of the Gentiles. And this incited some persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But there were some Christians in Galatia that believed the gospel. They heard the gospel. They believed it. They believed it was by faith alone. They placed their faith in Christ. However, 
there was many that started to believe lies of false teachers. They had creeped in unnoticed, and they had began to preach these false doctrines. They were called Judaizers. And this group of Jewish leaders taught that the Gentiles must practice circumcision, obey the Mosaic law, and customs to truly be saved. So we've been learning, studying Leviticus uh, on Sunday evenings, and if you can just think back to what Neil has been preaching during, during those times with Leviticus, imagine going back to obeying that in order to be saved, to, to go through all 613 laws and be able to go through that. And, and this is what they were saying. You need to do these things in order to be saved. And so Paul forcefully declares, as for him, he does not set aside the grace of God for his righteousness comes through the law. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. needlessly. That's in Galatians 2.21. We can see Paul constantly is saying things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me is Christ. And we see that as we, in Galatians 2, 1 through 2, he says, um, okay, that's where I stand. So let me ask you something. The only thing I want to know from you, this is, this is, these are strong words he's saying here. The, I, he's like, don't give me excuses. Let's not... Go beat around the bush now. Let's just get to the point. I only want to know one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? And so what he's, his purpose is, is to allow them to reevaluate what they know to be true. He, he's, at, he's reminding them, what, what did you even do in order to get the Holy Spirit? Did you do anything? Think back. And so he's reminding them that faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of God. That's, you know, in Romans, Romans 10, 17. And the fact that they received the Holy Spirit at conversion, that remember, you didn't do anything. God did the work in your heart. The Spirit regenerated them and gave them the gift of faith, which then led them to an outward uh, expression of that faith of repentance. And, and that and that reflected on the exterior, we see baptism, and, and then that they desired to be holy. So these are outward expressions of things that God did internally. And we see in Ephesians chapter 2, which is a great reminder that it starts off, he reminds them to say, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. A dead man can't do anything. You were alienated from God. You were not a child of God. You were a child of wrath. You were you were in, in, in a, a desperate state. You were, the wrath of God was abiding upon you. But then that beautiful two words in that verse four, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not even of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, so you can't boast. So tell me there where you see that you have to do what these Judaizers are telling you, to be saved. And therefore, their present behavior is contradicting their past experience of salvation, of how they came to faith. And if that's not enough evidence, look at Abraham. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We see that in Galatians 6. And so we see Abraham obeyed God's voice. Uh, and Neil touched on that in his prayer about Abraham. He was 
a disaster by, in a many different ways. But he was certainly an example for us to say, if God can save that man, he can save this man. Because we're no better than Abraham. Abraham obeyed God's voice, leaving Ur for a future inheritance, the location of which he did not know. He lived as a stranger in the land promised to him. And when he looked beyond Canaan to that a lasting heavenly country and city designed and built by God himself, despite his sinful failures, his alternatives that he tried to use to, uh, to okay, God promised me this, so let me try to find a, another way to reach that promise. His questioning doubts, Abraham trusted God regarding the, the conception of Isaac, which was miraculous. We see since Sarah was barren, Abraham, as we see in Romans 4.19, says respect to his possibility of, of reproduction, he was good as dead. You pick a man like that to be able to show God's power, and he believed. He believed and trusted in God. He believed and trusted in God that he would provide a sacrifice in place of his son. And so Abraham believed before he practiced, and he was counted as righteous before he practiced circumcision, which was 14 years later, and before Israel even existed, and before the law existed, which arrived 430 years later. Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, and he received the seal of that righteousness of the faith. In the same way, we receive faith. And believe the seal and receive the seal of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And that leads us to the verses that we're focusing on in Galatians 3, 7 through 9. It says this, So know that those who are of faith, those are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And so we see in verse 7 that we are sons, not slaves. So know that those who are of faith, those are sons of Abraham. See, the Jews said in John 8 that they're having this confrontation with Jesus. And they say, Abraham is our father. And Jesus replied, if Abraham's, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. He believed. You would believe me. You would not be trying to kill me right now. You would try to, you would believe in me. But instead, you're doing the works of your father. You're doing the works of Satan. And so you see these strong words that Jesus is, is saying to these Jews that are trying to they're trying to puff themselves up to say, Abraham's our father, and therefore we're children of God. And so we see that the Jew Jewish people were very proud of the relationship with Abraham. The trouble was they thought that this relationship guaranteed them eternal salvation. And John the Baptist warned them about that, and Jesus made a clear, made a clear distinction between Abraham's seed physically and Abraham's children spiritually in John 8, 33 through 47. And some people today still imagine that children, uh, salvation is inherited. I mean, you may know many people that say, well, my grandma is a Christian, and so 
I'm pretty good with, with Christ. I, I, I know the big man upstairs. They like to use those kind of terms. They, they think that because their mom and dad have taught, taught them the Bible or they went to church, that they're okay with God. And this is, this is something that is common amongst many people today. But we know that this is not true. As someone once said, that God doesn't have any grandchildren. And so now Paul declares a radical idea. Everyone who believes in the Lord, referred to those as those of faith, are sons of Abraham. This includes all people, not just not even the non-Jewish people known as Gentiles. It's, we see that it's the fulfillment of what the scriptures were talking about through the whole Old Testament. There's, there's these signs these, that, that you see in the Old Testament where it's saying that the nations will be blessed, the nations will come to Christ. That, and then we see Revelation where it says every tribe, tongue, and language, and people will be crying out, holy, holy, holy. We, we see these, we see these uh, elements even in the Old Testament, and he's clarifying the time has arrived. Now salvation has come. And we are sons of Abraham. This is a great comfort for us that are Gentile Christians. That, and it was very much so for these Christians in Galatia because they were considered second-class Christians in many ways. And so now they can say, we have an important link with Abraham, and we can consider ourselves sons of Abraham. In other words, Abraham, Father Abraham's many sons include all those who trust in Christ. And this category is not limited to those who descended from, from Abraham by birth or some ritual, but it was because of who Christ is. It's through Christ. And so there is only one way of salvation. And we see that in verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel beforehand to Abraham, Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. The good news announced to Abraham was that someday the Savior would be born and that the Gentiles would be saved through him as Abraham was saved. Thus, Abraham rejoiced to see the coming of the day and Abraham was therefore to become a pattern, a pattern for all those who would follow and of how a sinner, a Jew, a Gentile, man, woman, child, old and young, would receive salvation through faith alone. And Spurgeon once said, just as Abraham was blessed, so are the nations to be blessed, and that is by faith. By faith, they become his spiritual seed. By faith, they enter into his covenant. By faith, they receive the blessings of grace. And this was God's plan all along. The scriptures were always pointing to the day when all people, not just the Israelites who followed the law, would be included into the family of God. And the law was never meant to be the solution to our sin. Christ was. And after these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am your shield. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. We, Jim read that in, in the opening in Genesis 5.1. We look at that kind of closely there, and we won't go too much in depth there, where we see this word of the Lord coming to Abraham. And what is interesting is that the word is the subject not the Lord. 
And then later on, we see that the, the word is singular, not plural. And then we see later on that he's, Abram says uh, to the, regarding the word, O Lord my God, or Adonai Yahweh. And then we see the word comes later on, and Abram calls it the Lord God. And we see these things happening in the Old Testament where the pre-incarnated Christ is, is becoming known to these believers in the Old Testament and proclaiming good news and proclaiming the gospel. We see, we see God using methods, pre-incarnate Christ, the angels and, and visions and all sorts of things to proclaim the gospel. And so if you ask, how are Old Testament believers saved? They were saved the same way we are today, by faith alone in Christ Jesus. And we see that Jesus Christ came and proclaimed the gospel, and God knows how to become the answer to our need. We need a shield, and, we need a, and, and he is our reward. He becomes those things for us. I, and as Spurgeon once said, I don't think that any human mind can ever grasp the fullness of meaning of those four words, I am thy reward. God himself, the reward of his faithful people. This is the beauty of the gospel is that we can't earn the gift of salvation. And it's a work of the Lord alone. And therefore, he must be our everything, our shield of salvation. And he is our reward. And so this last part here in, in verse 9 that we see is that this is what we should be known as. I, I, this really struck me as I was reading this verse 9 where it says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Like, that's what he's known as, the believer. You, you see in John 3.36, kind of a, a definition of what a believer is, what it means to believe. Jesus made it clear that those who believe in the Son has eternal life. And he who does not obey, if you believe, you obey. If you don't obey the Son, you will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And I have to, I have to thank Michael because in God's providence, there were some people on social media that shared a post Martin Luther Post, then, and it struck me, because it kind of connects with what I'm about to say, this Martin Luther quote was, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. And when you think about that, when you think about the beauty of the gospel and what Christ has done for us, what a true Christian would do is... The true Christian, not the professing Christian, not simply someone that just has the title Christian, but the, the Christian who has put their faith in Christ. And if they came to the stand and Paul would question them, what would they say? What would be the difference? Because if you look at all those other false religions and then false teachings within Christianity, they're very similar they sound very similar. It's about me and about what I do and what and it all depends on me and clinging to my ability. Whereas the true faithful Christian comes to the stand and Paul asks, how do you know you're saved, Christian? Well, God is holy 
and I am so sinful. And God gave his perfect law to expose my inability to contribute anything to my salvation except my own sin. In fact, I am wretched. I know I, don't deserve, I deserve his wrath. I don't know why he chose me, but I know that he saved me. I know I need him. I know that I love him because he first loved me and gave himself on that tree, the very tree that he created taken upon himself my punishment so that I can be justified. When I stand before God, he will not see my filthy works, but only the beautiful, perfect works of Christ. I am one in the great nation that has been blessed, called the church, who is more numerable than the stars. Together we bow and worship and live in obedience, all for the praise and glory of Christ alone. So what I can say today, that my legacy that I want to leave, if you want to know who I am, and this should be our words for everyone. People ask, come to you, so what do you do? What, where are you from? You want to know something about me, first and foremost, priority, I'm a believer. You want to know what I depend on, Christ alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. And so this should be what we stand for as Christians. And so we would sing the great hymn to remind us of the beauty of the gospel and that we are saved by faith in Christ alone, that my hope is built in nothing less, but that Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest in his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, my, his covenant, his blood support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When, I, when he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so the beauty of what we see of the gospel and what we have to stand for more than ever in the churches today is that when, when these heresies and these untruthful doctrines come in and people that we know that are falling prey to these things, and they either say, I'm good enough, I, I'm strong enough, it's all in me, or that grace is, is just a license to sin, all these things, we have to stand up for truth. And we have to remind them that we were alienated from God. We were separated from God. We were... We were children of wrath, but now we have been reconciled to God through faith. That if we stood before God on that, in that courtroom, that Christ would stand up before us. And he would walk before us that were standing before the throne, the judgment seat of God. And God would only see his son and not my wretchedness. That is pure grace. And so... 
Let us be ministers of reconciliation. We have been reconciled to, to, to Christ through God, through Christ. And so we're called us to be ministers of reconciliation, to go forth and to announce these good news to people that are lost and that are clinging to themselves. And so let us cling to Christ and Christ alone. So let us pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it pierces our hearts, that it reminds us of truth, and that it is comfort for the believer. And we pray, Lord God, that you would just remind us that in spite of our great needs, we have a great Christ for those needs, and that we need to put our trust and dependence on you in everything that we do. Help each and, each and every person here today to cling to Christ and rely on you in all things. Help us to proclaim this truth to our loved ones and those that are lost around the world and be ministers of reconciliation through the power of the gospel. And we thank you for this church and the truth that is proclaimed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.